0: Let's uh, open our Bibles to Matthew 16, verse 13. Matthew sixteen 13. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you, we thank you, we worship you, and we ask now as we open your word that you would give us grace, you would help us. We pray that you would be with us and that you would be teaching us through the power of your Holy Spirit. By your great and majestic power, you would change and transform our lives, strengthen us, deepen our faith, help us to see Jesus, help us to rejoice in his greatness, help us to understand, and help us as we face a world that um, is in rebellion against you that as we side with the Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to have the boldness and courage to to continue with that conviction and help us to see the conviction uh, in the apostles this day and and share that conviction in our generation. Bless and be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, we come to a major transition in the book of Matthew. Many many um, commentators and such uh, rightfully, I believe, see this as a pivotal turn. Matthew is now, ch- the gospel is now going to change. Things are going to start changing from here on out. We're about halfway through the book, and uh, things are going to start to shift focus. And you're going to see that in this text. Uh, verse 21 for instance look at that it says from that time jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to jerusalem suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and be killed and be raised for the third day and so this shift is going to take place also jesus is going to start ramping things up as it were in terms of the demands that he's gonna make upon his followers. Look at verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So things are definitely ramping up. Now this is also Matthew 16, uh, 13 to the end of the chapter is also a chapter that is packed full of stuff and lots of issues surface from this text. And, uh, and so we're gonna slow down here a little bit in this text and spend uh, some weeks unpacking that. Uh, Peter is called the rock. He is given the keys of the kingdom. What does that mean? What are these keys? He's also called Satan in the same text. And so, Christ will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the gates of Hades. What does that mean? Jesus is going to talk about his suffering and his death, and then he's going to call us to follow him along in that. And so, this is a very, very in-depth, extremely important text. We're going to take our time through it. But today, this morning, we're going to focus on one statement, one statement, because this one statement if a person holds to this, believes in it, and confesses it, is liter- literally changes everything in your life, changes everything in your perspective, changes everything. And that's why this text in Matthew, it's, it's as if Matthew structured his entire uh, account based on this text and actually the one line that we're going to look at today. Now, let's look at verse 13. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, he, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Now, Jesus is, has desi- his favorite designation for himself, favorite by, I mean, most used is the phrase son of man. Son of man. Now, where did he get that from? Well, that comes out of the book of Daniel, and we're going to put this on the screen for you. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel, right in the midst of all of his uh, revelations and things that he sees, Daniel says this, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man, and there's where the phrase comes from, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed." And so this passage, which in some ways in the Old Testament is somewhat thing of an obscure passage, this passage points to this Son of Man, this Son of Man who is going to be Messiah. He's going to be king. He's going to have a forever kingdom, that, and he's coming and such. But in some ways, Jesus' use of the Son of Man is sort of an under-the-radar kind of thing, okay? If Jesus were to walk in onto the earth and say, I'm God. I'm Messiah all bow down and worship me, he would have been executed. And in fact, he was executed for that very reason. We're going to see this. When the scribes and Pharisees bring them before Pilate, they say, he needs to be executed. He's a blasphemer because he says he's the son of God. And so Jesus went under radar for, for uh, as during this time, and he referred to himself as the son of man. In fact, you can see him going under radar in verse 20. Look, and then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no. One, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And so he's going under radar at this point. And so Jesus is, is but, but what he's doing then is he's asking, what conclusions are the people making about me? I've been, in, I've been doing this ministry now, and I'm moving on my into my third year perhaps, and what, what are people saying about me, who I, who I am? What are they picking up? And notice then what the uh, disciples say. Verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, yes, some of them did say that he was John the Baptist, raised up again from the dead. Look in your Bibles to Matthew 14. Look at That's what Herod said. Matthew 14, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his disciples... This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. And so Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. So some people thought he was John the Baptist, come back again from the dead. Others thought that he was Elijah. Now, Elijah was a very important figure. First of all, Elijah was a prophet under which many miracles uh, was associated with. That wasn't true of all the prophets. But for Elijah, it was true. There was lots of miracles. There was great revelation from God. And so, Elijah was seen as sort of an important point. So, people, people are locking in on Elijah. But the other reason why Elijah is important is because the Old Testament actually concludes by saying that before Messiah comes, an Elijah figure is going to come. And that, of course, is identical. In the scriptures as John the Baptist. So people are saying he's not the Messiah, but he's the one who's going to come before the Messiah. That's what some people were saying. And then some people were saying that he was just Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. God has raised up in our generation a great prophet. That's what they're saying, a mighty prophet. And so they just thought that that's, that's who he was, one of the prophets. But then we come to verse 15. Oh, by the way, the Pharisees, their opinion wasn't mentioned here. He's Beelzebub, the devil. We saw that too, but they don't count. Um, and so uh, these, these were the primary things amongst the people that were following him. So then we come to verse 15. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I Now, it's interesting, the you there is plural. It's hard to tell in the English language, but I'm telling you in, in, in the original language, the you there is plural. Who do you, plural, say that I am? He's talking to his disciples. He said to them, who do you say that I am? But actually... The way this appears in the Greek text, now Jesus spoke Aramaic, Matthew wrote it down in Greek, but he was there listening, he wrote it down. In the Greek text, word order is very different than it is in English. In English, we're dependent upon word order in our language because we won't know what the subject is or what the predicate is without word order. When it says the uh, the dog bit the boy, we know that the dog bit the boy because of word order. The, do- the dog bit the boy. Uh, you, don't need, you don't need to say it that way in Greek. You can say bit the dog the boy, and you would immediately know by the word endings, okay? And so what people would do is they would front words. They would, it's called fronting. They would front words at the beginning and post them first because, again, you don't need word order because the, the endings of the word told you what was a subject, what was a predicate. They would front words for emphasis. And I just want to kind of read to you in English. It's going to sound broken, but I'm going to read you in English the very wooden literal translation of what Jesus says. You, you, who me You say to be. Jesus begins by saying, but you, you, what about you? Who do you say? In one sense, Jesus is calling them out. He's pinning them down. This is not a time to be on the fence. This is not a time to be wishy-washy. I'm asking you now. I found out what the, what the people out there are discussing and, and saying in their rooms and in their, around their dinner tables and as they're walking ba- uh, away uh, from my teaching sessions. I, I, I get all that, but now I'm asking you, 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 what about you? That's really the emphasis of this text. But who do you say that I am? You. And Simon Peter answers very boldly, verse 16, Simon Peter answered, he speaks up, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We don't think that you're John the Baptist. We don't think that you're Elijah. We don't think that you're Jeremiah one of the prophets. We certainly don't think you're Beelzebub. You are the Christ, the Christ. What is a Christ? What does that mean? Well, the word Christ means anointed, anointed. Christos means to anoint something. And when we still have this word in the English language, we still do. When they, when they christen a, sh- a boat, uh, a ship, they'll take a, a, a bottle of champagne and they'll smash it against the hull of that ship and the champagne splashes all over. And that's called christening that, that, that boat. And that's, that, that actually comes back to this Greek word Christos, which means anointed. When the priests were, were, were put in office, and we have this wonderful example in the Old Testament of, of Aaron, when he becomes the high priest, the anointing oil is poured upon his head, and the anointing oil goes down over him. When, when Samuel goes to find uh, the next king of Israel, uh, and when Saul is rejected, and he comes upon the little boy David, he pours the anointing oil on him, he anoints the king, and this anointing oil symbolized the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And so Jesus, of course, when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him. Jesus is anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit and led and directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is the anointed one, the anointed one. Now, in Hebrew, that word is Messiah, Messiah. And so Peter is saying, you are the Messiah. You are the fulfillment of all of the promises. You are the one that has been promised to come. That is who you are. You are the Messiah. But then look at what he adds. You are the son of the living God. You are the son of the living God. Now, this this identification of Jesus has already happened in one sense under just kind of a moment of just absolute amazement. Look at chapter 14 and uh, in verse 33. Uh, the wind, uh, you know, it's the wind. Peter's walking on the water, and then he sinks, and then, and then they get in the boat, and boom, the wind ceases like that. And it says, and then those who were in the boat with came and worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. That, that seemed to be just a, an exuberance of amazement and astonishment as to what was happening. Here now, though, we have come to a settled conviction, a settled conviction. And Peter, as, as, as the leader there, speaks up. He speaks up powerfully. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who you are. You're the son of the living God. And we're going to look at that a little bit further. But then look at verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter, you have come to this settled conviction because God has opened your eyes. God has sovereignly granted you this blessing. God has given you the insight and wisdom. God has renewed your heart. God has opened your eyes. You're properly reading the evidence. You're noticing and recognizing and acknowledging who I am. Blessed are you. Because there's a bunch of Pharisees are running around right now. And there's a bunch of scribes and there's a bunch of Sadducees running around who are saying he's the devil who's saying he's wicked, who's saying he's a blasphemer. <clears throat> their eyes are closed. Their pride and their opinionation and, and all of that is directing them. Peter, blessed are you. The Father has opened your eyes. All No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, Jesus says in John 6. And here, Peter, you are being drawn. Your eyes are being opened. How blessed you are. You didn't come up with this on your own, Peter. But it's true what you say because your eyes have been opened, that he is the Son of God. Now, dear friends, like I said, this is the one fact that changes everything. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the one fact that changes everything. All the pieces start falling into place. All of life suddenly begins to start making sense. All of the Bible comes together in one theme. All of reality starts to click. And all kinds of facts get associated with this one great fact. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Think of it. What does this mean? Well, let's just think of some of them. Number one, there is a God. There is a God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. There is a God then. And he's a living God. And he's the one true God. Another thing that flows out of this He sent his promised Messiah into the world. And Jesus of Nazareth, the baby born of Mary, the the young man who grew up in Nazareth, the builder and carpenter there in Nazareth for all those years, this Jesus out of Nazareth is actually the Christ. He is the son of the living God. All of the Old Testament promises point to him. He is the child of of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head. He is the promised seed of Abraham who's going to bless the world. He's the promised seed of David who's going to rule in a kingdom forever and ever and ever. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah who's going to die for the multitude. He's the son of man that Daniel talked about. All of the promises are in you. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who you are. And notice here too. He is God's son. You are God's son, the son of the living God. And therefore, he reveals the father to us. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, listen to these wonderful words and look at them about what the Bible says about God's son and what God has done through his son. It says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the father's by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Now, listen to this, verse 3. Who, being the brightness of his glory, Some Bibles translate that, the the radiance of his his glory, the radiance. It's like when you go out on a sunny day and, and, and you put your face up and you just feel the warmth and the energy of the sun radiating upon you. And those radiant beams have traveled all of those millions of miles from the sun to you. Jesus is the radiant glory of the Father. He's one with the Father, and he, he, he beams his glory, and he's the brightness of his glory. And then notice next, and the express... ...image of his person. We use the phrase like father, like son. Here it's used in an an extreme, almost infinite way. He is the express image of his person. When you see the son, you see the father. Upholding all things by the word of his power. And when he had, had by himself purged our sins... ...sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty. This is who Jesus is. He is God's son and he reveals the father to us. We know God by knowing Jesus... And that's why in John 14, 9, when the disciples said, show us the Father, Jesus said this. Jesus said to him, to Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Look in my face. Look at me. I am the Son of the living God. In me you see the Father. I am the exact representation of his very person. And that is what the Bible teaches. You see, dear friends, and if that's true, then there is no other way of salvation. There's only one way of salvation. In fact, just a few verses earlier, Jesus said this in John fourteen six: I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the living God. There is no other religious leader who even claims to be that. Muhammad never claimed to be that. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet, a human prophet, who was given revelation from Allah. That's all he claimed. He never claimed to be the very Son of God, the eternal Son, the Son of the living God. No. The the Hindu holy men maybe want to eventually be God-like, but they never claim to come down from heaven as the son of God. Buddhists, and Buddhism doesn't teach that God incarnates. They don't even teach that God's a person. They teach that God is is an inanimate force, a life force, uh, a, a sort of universal force. Joseph Smith, even for all the exalted claims that he made, never claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that he met an angel, and the angel told him and said things that became Mormonism. And certainly the mere secular philosophers, Darwin and Marx and those kind of fellows, oh, Immanuel Kant and others, they don't claim by any stretch to be, to be the Son of God. They don't even claim that there is a God. This claim is, I am the Son of God. And Peter says, I've come to the settled conviction you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That means there's only one way of salvation. And when Peter started preaching after the resurrection, in Acts chapter 4, we're not putting it, I didn't get this one on in the board, so just listen to me. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is preaching, and he's speaking to the Sanhedrin, and he says this, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And one of the implications of that is there's no other way of salvation but through you. And Jesus said the same thing. But finally, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That means that this is a not only a one way of salvation, it's an amazing way of salvation. It's an amazing way. God sent his Son God sent the radiance of his glory. God sent the express image of his person. God sent the beloved word who was in the beginning with God. God sent the one through whom and for whom he made all things. God sent his beloved, his beloved son. God sent him into the world. If you are the Christ, the son of the living God, in one sense you could ask him, what are you doing here? Why aren't you back up there in all of your glory? Because the Father sent me. I've been sent. I, the Son of God. He didn't send angels. He's done that. They've been zipping around back and forth for centuries now. But now he has sent me, the Son. That's what Jesus is saying here through this. And not only this, but God has sent his Son to die as a sacrifice for us. Notice this text. Notice how this text holds together. Verse 15. Who do you say I am? Verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. The son of the living God, the Christ, is going to be rejected, suffer, and is going to be executed. It was too much for Peter. He couldn't handle it. Verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And said, far be it from you. I just proclaimed you're the son of the living God. You're not going to die. And yes, dear friends, he is going to die. That's salvation. The son of the living God dies for sinners. Dies to save. God sends his son, go on a mission, save them, die for them, go on a mission, let's redeem this world. And the son obeys, the son desires to do his father's will. He loves the father and he loves the sheep and he's going to die for them. It's an amazing salvation. And see, dear friends, what happens when you grasp Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Your vision just explodes into the glory of this great God who saves because he's so good, who saves because he's so loving, this God who's sacrificial, who sacrifices his own son, this God who is secure, who's more concerned about our salvation than we are, this son who is so good, who so reflects the father's love, who so reflects the father's concern for us, this son who is so good, who gives his life for us. Dear friends, this is it. Doesn't get any better than this. It couldn't be. We can't even imagine anything any better than this. It's a wonderful salvation. And Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, puts it all together. Let me tell you a little story. Something that happened to me last week. I was here in the church building. Chris was here. Sue was here. That's been two weeks ago. And um, there was, I looked up. I came into Sue's office. I looked up, and there was a car parked right directly across from her office. And, and um, there was a, a, a man sitting there, um, a young man, a young man. Probably in his 30s, and uh, he's got a phone in his hand. He's watching. He's watching something on the phone. So um, I, wa- I went walking out there, and I said, "Hey, man, how you doing?" He said, "Good." And I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm. I'm. I live right around the corner here, and I get absolutely terrible phone service. And so I'm just coming here." And he was watching YouTube videos, and. Um, I said, I get it, dude. I said, I live right around the corner, too, and if I'm standing on my front porch talking to somebody and I just go like this, I drop the call. Okay, and I call him back, and if I accidentally go like this, I drop the call, and he started laughing, and we were talking. And I said, "Uh, so I guess just kind of reaching out to him. You know, hey, so what do you do, and how long? You grew up here? Yeah, yeah, and just live around here. Okay, yeah, cool, dude. So then I said to him, where do you go to church? He said, dude, I don't go to church. I said, no, you don't go to church, no. He said... He said, but wait, wait, he said, but I I believe, I believe like there's somebody up there but i don't believe in any religion i don't believe in any church i don't i don't do any of that I, he said i i i you know he said i think that's all right. he said in fact i kind of think maybe the american indians had it right you know and uh, and you know maybe they were right i don't know i don't know you know and so he's 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 giving me his theology and and he's articulate and he's he's obviously thought about it and and he had a lot of things that that were right but there was a lot of stuff he just didn't know so he's kind of agnostic kind of yeah there's maybe a god there and so I stopped. Finally, when he, he kind of gave me his whole, his whole theology, I said, uh, can I share with you how I kind of landed on all these questions? And he said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And I said, I landed right here. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I said, if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, all of these other questions start falling into place. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, first of all, you were saying, you know, how do we even know if there's a God? I've been thinking this. I've been thinking that. How do we even know? I said, Imagine if you were God, wouldn't, and there, or if there is one true and living God, wouldn't he, wouldn't he want to reveal himself to us and tell us about who he is? And I said, and God did that by sending His Son. And I said, and so, when, if if I come to the conviction Jesus is the very Son of God, then I sit at His feet and say, teach me about the Father. And I said, some of the stuff that you were saying, you got absolutely right. Look around. God created this. This, this, this doesn't happen by chance, I said. And there is a God in this. And then, I, and then I wanted to say, but here's another thing. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And I said, guess what? And I like to, when I'm witnessing to this modern generation, because this modern generation is very fearful, very fearful of life, very fearful of the future, very fearful of everything. Because they've sadly been brought up in secularism, which is a fearful, fragile, answerless religion. I said, also, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. And I always try to get there with people because they're like amazed that somebody could actually say those words. You know, when I die, I'm going to go right to heaven. I know I am. Why? Because Jesus is the son of God. And he promised that all who trust him. In fact, I'm going to heaven even though I'm a sinner because Jesus, the son of God, was executed on my behalf. And so I, I had an opportunity to share with him the entire gospel, but it all came down to this. Jesus Christ is the message. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And with Jesus, once you understand who Jesus is, everything else starts to fall into place. That's why in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul was able to say this. Of him, of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Jesus is the wisdom from God. You get Jesus right, and you get everything right. It all starts to fall into place. And that's what is happening here. That's what's happening in the life of Peter. And so let's apply this to ourselves. And let's just, as it were, give Jesus the microphone and have Jesus say to us, me and you, this morning, you, you, who do you say I am? Now, you take that question as if Jesus is asking you that right now. Who do you say I am? You. Not the person sitting next to you, not the person in front of you. Who do you say I am? Dear friends, this is what's called a judgment day question. In other words, this is a question that has to be resolved before you show up on judgment day. Because on judgment day, when you and I are being judged by the Lord Jesus Christ, while he sits upon a great white throne and we are there before him and we must give an account and he is determining where we will spend all of eternity in heaven or in hell, everybody, everybody is going to know that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, okay? The question is, did you come to that settled conviction and commitment before you died? before Judgment Day came. And this is why this is a very important question. It's the most important question in many ways. Who is Jesus Christ? Who do you say that he is? And it is very important that this becomes a settled conviction in your life as a believer in Christ. It certainly came, that came true of Peter. Peter in this passage says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen, listen to the common thread that runs in these apostles' writings. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is Peter's letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter starts off right at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. There, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now look at that at the beginning. There's the word Jesus. He is the Christ. And God the Father is his Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesians and he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the exact same phrase. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's a living God, he's the Father, you're the Christ. John, at the end of John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, verses 30, 30 and 31, John says this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have eternal life in his name. John came to the settled conviction he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, how did John come to that conviction? How did John and Peter and Matthew and these guys come to this settled conviction? Well, listen to John say and explain how he did. First John chapter 1, verse 1. John writes this, very beginning of his book, his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father. He's the Son. He was with the Father and was manifested to us. And that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, we saw, we walked, we were with him, we investigated him, we watched, we saw the miracles, we saw his teaching, we were with him when the crowd was around him and when he was alone, we were in a boat, he stopped us we saw him, we saw him sleeping in inna- and nabbed, we saw him eating, we saw him living normal life, we traveled with him for three years, we watched, we saw, we touched, we handled and we have come to the settled conviction, he is the Christ, the son of the living God and we're ready to die for it. We're ready to die for it. Dear friends, have you come to that conviction? Let me add my voice to this, my fragile little voice to this. This confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, has become extremely important in my own life over the years. It has become a settled conviction of mine. Jesus is the Son of God, Messiah. And that settled conviction has been growing in my life now for over 50 years. By God's grace, I came to Christ at a very young age. And for over 50 years, this reality has settled into me. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm going to give you three examples, three sort of ways that this means so much to me. And I hope that it will mean so much to you. Number one, trial. When trials come. And dear friends, trials are going to come. Nobody gets out of this world trial free. Trials are going to come. You're going to be in emergency rooms. It's going to be you or a loved one. They wheel in there. You're going to be in funeral parlors. Funeral homes. You're going to be through difficulties. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to be alone at times. And you're going to be afraid. You're going to be awake at night. It's going to be dark, closes in on you, feels like it's oppressing you, and you're going to be afraid. And all of your thoughts during some of those trials and difficulties are going to be a jumble, and and you can't. And panic is setting in. You begin to panic. And God is confusing you at that time because how can this be for good? How can this be for right? How can this be wise? How can this be helpful? No, this, this seems so wrong. This, this seems hurt. This seems, this seems like you're mean. I, I, I'm confused. I don't know why. Will, will this person die? Will this person walk out on me? Will I, will I be able to make it? What, what is happening here? And it was, it's been during times like that, dear friends, that I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on, that I would just stop myself and I would say, but you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, dear friends, I couldn't let go of that. You are the Christ. I don't know, I don't know a lot of stuff. Honestly, I literally have this conversation with myself at times. I don't know a lot of things, but I know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and I am not budging from that. I am not budging from that. I'll tell you another one, doubts, doubts. Doubts assail everybody. And one of the reasons why we all doubt is number one, we have little faith, and number two, we have a terrible, terrible enemy who is Satan, who is a liar, who hates God, and wants us to doubt anything about God. Doubt that God loves you. Doubt that God's for you. Doubt that God's in control. Doubt that God is working all things together for good. Doubt that God even exists. His first recorded words of the devil are this, has God indeed said you shall not eat of any of these trees of the garden? Is that what God said? You sure that's what God said? Did God actually say that? What a nasty thing to say. What a terrible God he is. How about when he had this very son of God starving to death in the wilderness at his weakest moment and he said, if, if you are the son of God, make this stone into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. There's a serious doubt here whether you actually are the son of God. And you, don't, you think he's going to leave you alone? He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to put sleeves of doubt in you. How could God possibly love you? How could God be for you? How can this all be working together for good? How do you even know Christianity is true? How do you know the other religions aren't true? There's a lot of other religions and people who believe in them. How how, how do you know this isn't all a bunch of hogwash and there's nothing that's true out there? There's nothing. There's a lot of really cool and fancy and hip atheists A lot of smart people are atheists. A lot of popular people are atheists. How could you ever know? How could you ever know? And, dear friends, as I've been assailed by doubts in my life over these 50 years, there's times that I've been assailed by doubts. I keep coming back to this one thing You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm not walking away from that. I I know too much. I know Jesus is who he is, claims to be. It's a settled conviction of mine. And you know what I sometimes do? Sometimes do? I I, I doubt my doubts. And I say to my doubts, wait a minute. You're asking me to deny that Jesus Christ is the son of God and to walk away from that and to take all of the consequences. Well, guess what, doubt? What if you're wrong? And what if he is and what if I will stop? No. No, 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 no. I am never walking away from him. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And finally, like I said, in witnessing, in witnessing to people, you just have to constantly bring them back to this. You are the Christ. I got one message. I'm a broken record. I got one message. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul said the same thing. For I determined to know nothing, not to know know anything among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Dear friends, do you have a settled conviction? Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. If you do have that conviction and that is settled in you and there is something in your heart saying amen, amen, he is blessed, are you? You didn't come to this on your own. It's not because you're smarter than everybody else. It's not because we're more spiritually insightful. It's not because of our upbringing. It's not. Now, that call could have contributed, and bless God, he uses that. But it's because the Father has opened your eyes to the true evidence to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I just want to urge us all, embrace that. Let your roots go deep in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Live it out. Trust him. Trust him. Stay committed to him. Never deny this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And for those of you who are here and you've kind of been on the fence, you haven't really believed in this, you haven't really trusted I want to urge you, I'm proclaiming to you, Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is. I'm proclaiming that. That is true. He's your only great hope. And I want to encourage you, check him out. Check it out, that which we've seen. Read these evidences of these men who were eyewitnesses who were willing to die for this stuff. Read what they're having to say. Listen, listen to what Christ is saying. Examine his life. Watch him, see him, understand who he is, and come to embrace. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. But I also want to warn you, don't walk away from him. You see, dear friends, you say, well, what if I believe? There's all these implications. What if I believe? What will people say? What if I believe? What if I'm around? What if I believe? What if I believe? Yeah, well, what if you don't believe? And he bursts through the sky one day with an army of 10,000 times, 10,000 angels and all of his saints coming with him. And he descends to heaven and he judges every man, boy, woman, boy, girl, the demons and and the angels and all things. He judges them all because why? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you're wrong in this, if you're wrong in this life that you live in, you are wrong, you will go to hell forever and ever and ever. With Satan and with the demons, you will go to hell because Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Of the living God. It's the one fact that changes everything. Oh, that you would come to embrace and believe him. Trust in him. And find the joy of knowing. I know the son of God. I love the son of God. I've been saved by the son of God. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we look at you through the eyes of faith. Sight is coming when we're with you, but now through the eyes of faith, we look upon you and we proclaim you. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We praise you. We glorify you. We bow before your greatness. We're astounded at your love for us. We need to just simply pause here now and thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you sought us out like a good shepherd. Thank you that you were executed for crimes that you never did. They're crimes that we did. They're sins that we committed. Thank you that you loved us so much that you would not have us perish. You would die on our behalf. Who are we that we would have the very Son of God die for us? Who are we that we would have an interest in your blood? Who are we? Well, we are the blessed ones. You have blessed us. We didn't come on this on our own. Thank you, Father. Thank you for opening our eyes and letting us see the Son. Help us, we pray, to go through our lives with the deep, settled conviction that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Know that those who are here and have not known you, taste of your power, met you personally, face to face, as it were, believed upon you, trusted in you. Oh, Father, save them. Save them from the devil and his lies. Save them from this wicked world that would drag it down with them. Save them, I pray, save them that they may proclaim even this day, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus, your precious name, amen.